my goodness, we got a great show for you today. This is Chris Sotolero, and I want to thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. And as always, Pulsera is proud to sponsor this episode of the Inside EMS podcast. Learn how you can leverage the power of network communication at www.pulsera.com slash EMS. And here he is, my guy. We've got so much to get to. We're going to have to do a quick introduction. My good friend, the one we call Kelly Grayson. Kelly Grayson, how are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm maintaining, I'm trying to maintain an even keel, uh, and, and have my, my Zen moments get in touch with my inner child, uh, with varying degrees of, of success. <laughs> I was going to, I was actually going to introduce you as the man who was charged with stamping out disease and pestilence, but I decided against it. Um, I, I just, uh, satisfy myself with trying to thwart natural selection, uh, whenever I can. <laughs> and, uh, uh, currently, natural selection is, is beating me. So, all right, well, keep it up. Just stay with it, and uh, let me know if you need a pallbearer. So, I've been we, a grim reaper the last few calls, man. Well, let's see. We got a really great show today, and uh, you know, coming back to us from the West Coast, our international correspondent, the man with the original accent to the state of Virginia, Rob Lawrence. Rob, thanks for joining us again on Inside EMS. Thank you for having me back so soon, Chris. I'm like the proverbial city bus. You don't see me for weeks, and then I, they all come along at once. I'm on time. Here. On time, though. How about that? Well, slightly tardy, but I'm here. Okay. Well, thank you. And and making her first appearance on the internationally recognized Chris and Kelly show, our editor-in-chief for EMS One, Carrie Hat. Carrie, welcome to Inside EMS. Thank you, Chris. It's nice to join you. Thank you. That's everybody's thing. We got a you got a round of applause from everybody. I'm I'm giving a golf clap. Are oh, you are I very well. It. it is. It is. So uh, you know we got a great show to talk about today. I got to tell you, for the past five years, EMS has been doing a great job. EMS One, the folks at Fitch and Associates, the National EMS Management Association are doing an incredible job of once again putting out the EMS trend report for 2020. And over the past five years, we have now been asking a series of questions that have been trending what's going on inside EMS. And this has been an incredible tool that has given us the opportunity to get a snapshot of exactly what's happening in different organizations in our career field and how it really is affecting our you know, our, our go forward, our movement in this EMS field. And we brought together some of the great people who are going to help break that down. Of course, Rob Lawrence, uh, we've had the opportunity to talk about this before. But, Carrie, let me ask you the first question. You know, as you've had the opportunity to look over this uh, document, and, you know, think about it from this aspect is now this is five years. How much is this or how much of a change have you seen year over year? And, and if I could just kind of carry on to that, what have we learned in five years of this trend report? Sure, there there's some, definitely some changes that stand out this year. Um, we saw an increase in responders who don't recommend the field to their children. That that was a big one and a big takeaway. Um, we saw some increases in technology adoption. 
We saw some decreases in community paramedicine that stood out. So there are some big changes this year. But I also think there's some takeaways from what hasn't changed year over year. So looking at five years in the education initiatives and some of the changes that leadership has implemented, we're still seeing people reporting the same issues, ranking them as having a major significant impact on the field. Things like mental health, um, fatigue, bullying, violence against providers, safety for both patients and providers. Um, so these, these issues are still being ranked highly. There are significant numbers of people that believe their organization is not taking the appropriate steps to address them. So I think that's one of the takeaways from five years of the trend report is, is what hasn't changed and what needs to be done to make some headway in some of those challenges. I'd like to I'd like to chime in and, and direct a question to Rob along that uh, along that line. Um, in the five years we've been covering the EMS trend report, one of the things uh, I'd even call it a constant is there is a disconnect uh, between management and medical direction and field providers. You see their opinions uh, on the various questions in the trend report trend report differ dramatically. Um, and, and, and Rob, I, I, I'd like to hear your take on why do you think that is and, and why um, and what managers can do to to overcome that obstacle? Because when you read about uh, uh, what managers and, and medical directors think they're doing about fatigue mitigation and employee wellness, they have a much rosier opinion of their of their efforts than do the field providers that they're aimed at. Uh, the same would be true of, of medical director engagement and and uh, engagement by supervisory and, and management staff with field personnel. They think they're engaged. They think they're doing a good job. But the people who are, are actually on the ambulances uh, disagree significantly. What, what do you think the, is the reason for that disconnect, Rob? I think the one sentence answer, Kelly, is the difference between anecdote and measurement. And uh, <laughs> seriously, I mean, I, I, I've, I've banned uh, anecdote this week because I'm fed up with listening to it in various meetings I've, I've attended. But the, my point here is that if we think it's OK, we need to actually get out on the ground. We need to talk to people. We need to communicate. We need to understand what they're going through and then pay attention to that. We then need to make sure we can, we have uh, we have methodologies and, and strategy to then improve the situation. You know, you can't tell what's going on by just looking out of the window. You have to conduct, and this this is my note to managers, leaders, medical directors, you have to conduct MBWA, the good old-fashioned management by walking about. Get out there and understand what's going on. If there's a massive disconnect in your organisation, it's probably because the folk in the corner office are sitting in the corner office, I'm afraid to say. Exactly. You stole Nancy McGee's line. Uh, I think it was Peter Drucker that called it management by walking around uh, or, or Tom Peter, excuse me. Um, and that that seems to me to be the, the big disconnect there is that when a manager or supervisor or a medical director implements a policy, they think they've addressed the problem. But the implementation or when, when you when you've promulgated a policy, uh, whether it's actually implemented and how it's received by the employees that it affects uh, is what's important to us. And, and often there's, there's a, a huge gap there between uh, what we they want us to do or, or expect us to do and, and how easy they make it uh, for us to do that very thing. Well, the biggest problem, the fact, is that we're putting policy in place 
without bringing the workforce to the table and asking what their opinion is about that policy. You're, you're dictating not becoming. We collaborative. shouldn't be. We yeah. shouldn't be creating policy for people who are doing the work without their input or changing policy of the work that they're doing without getting their input. So I think that that's a problem. And then the. Once we set the expectation, the accountability has to go to the field supervisors who are overseeing that work. But let me go ahead and jump to you, Carrie. And you talked about some of the differences, you know, uh, and some of the similarities through the year. If you have to put your hand or your finger really on just one common challenge reported by respondents, I mean, what, what kind of jumped out to you? Recruitment and retention is, is definitely the constant. Um, it's been ranked across all the service models, the different provider experience levels, consistently throughout the trend report years. And 2020 is really no different. And that's that's the one thing that is definitely impacting everyone. Um, and really, we're looking at a turning point this year with the major events that are impacting EMS right now with civil unrest, the pandemic. Um, we've, we drew some comparisons in the report to 9-11 and how that was a turning point. And will this draw more people to the profession or will the challenges, the PPE shortages and the staffing challenges, the fear of getting infected, will that be driving more people away? So we're really looking at how this is going to impact recruitment and retention and what the strategies are that people can be implementing. Um, so that's how we're shaping our coverage is learning from successful agencies, those agencies who don't have problems with shortages. Um, looking at exit interviews was a suggestion from one of the roundtable participants. Um, looking at some of the open field responses, that those open text responses that people contributed, um, career path stood out is, what is your agency doing to provide room for growth? And are we really educating and training people to then be taking on those roles that you've opened up for them? That's very interesting stuff. And I think that one of the things, too, I mean, Kelly, Kelly and I talk about this all the time that, you know, you can't treat people bad and pay them a horrible wage and expect them to stay. And when we think about recruiting and retention, really, we don't have to worry about recruiting if we're able to retain, you know, our high performers. And I think that that's what the big problem is. Kelly, you and I talk about that all the time. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I've said it once. I've said it, say it a million times. Uh, you can treat people poorly and pay them well, and they'll stay. You can pay them poorly and treat them well, and they'll stay. But they will not stand for both at the same time. And that, I think, you know, the uh, the reason cited for the the. Uh, challenges that we face in, in recruitment and retention uh, right up there at the top is low compensation. Um, however, we what we've already touched on before is, is the other side of the equation that we often forget, and it's the engagement in the, uh, by medical director and, and management staff in being collaborative uh, and, and making the employee feel valuable. And there's more than a paycheck to making an employee feel valuable. Uh, I can deal with a low paycheck if it's a place where um, I am allowed to grow and expected to use my clinical uh, decision making and, and my critical thinking uh, and that I'm not watched like a hawk for the next quote unquote mistake I make. Uh, that sort of thing uh, is uh, a premium in my mind, uh, just as important as, as the, the year monthly paycheck. Um, 
but so many are not getting that, uh, and that coupled with low compensation is is giving those experienced providers a really poor uh, prognosis for the profession. You know that it would seem from the trend report that the rosiest perception of EMS is with the people with very little experience in EMS. You know, it's a the the highest uh, percentage of people who would recommend EMS to their children are the people who have been in it what less than five years. Uh, and the people who have, who have gained some perspective and some wisdom over the years and as to what they feel is important and what is not in, in an EMS agency uh, and what they value in an EMS agency uh, are apparently having a much dimmer view of the profession of EMS and the future of EMS. Uh, and that's a worrisome trend that I don't know how we're going to get around that, but something radical has to change in, in how we engage our employees and how we treat them and pay them. What do you think, Rob? I think one example was was back in Richmond where we had the uh, overarching rule that we, the management, can actually make all the decisions all the time, all day long. But let's actually have employee committees. Let's get everybody together. Let's let let's have folk actually understanding what the issue is and helping us come up with a decision because that way everybody's engaged and everybody then gets to share in the glory. I mean, that's just one small way of doing it. Um, But again, as leaders, we have to listen. We have to understand. It's far easier to actually retain somebody than it is to recruit somebody because it, it takes a day for somebody to leave theoretically and it therefore takes three to four months to get somebody back in. So let's put emphasis on retention and not so much recruiting and i follow up on that rob uh, you i think you quoted in your your commentary that matt savagsky had, had pointed out that we don't have a paramedic shortage in this country we have a paramedic maldistribution uh that we don't use our Absolutely. existing personnel and and a and, and that's something I wholeheartedly agree with. I, I wrote a column uh, for EMS One called uh, the BLS Intercept, um, that we, we deploy our resources and our personnel in the most inefficient ways possible um, when we should do the exact opposite and, and uh, put our paramedics where they, uh, where they can do the most good and, and in the, the uh, uh, places where, where you can throw a rock at any compass point and hit a major hospital. Perhaps the, those people would be just as well served with with a strong cadre of EMTs. Um, why do you think that we still haven't gotten, uh, agency-wise, we, we still haven't gotten that message that perhaps we are deploying our people uh, in the wrong ways, and that might be the root of some of our personnel retention problems? Well, the standard answer, of course, in EMS is because we've always done it this way. Uh, Of course. I I, I could stop talking at that point, but I won't. Um, what, of course, going into the future now, now that we're in the new, we're not the new normal. I've stopped using the word new now. We're back into a normal. And what's going to happen in the future is perhaps the advent of telemedicine and enhanced, fingers crossed, treatment in place means we can actually use our resources in the most appropriate way. We can back up the EMT with some degree of telemedicine intervention, some uh, bi-directional data exchange, which is actually what I'm going to talk about in my column coming up this week, um, which, by the way, I've passed to Kerry. Um, So it's a case of we can now work smarter um, going forward because of what's just happened to us. COVID has been a great disruptor, some mostly for the bad, but actually also it's going to propel us into evolving, hopefully, and not revolving. 
Yeah, I think that that's a really great point, Rob. And, you know, I mean, for everybody out there, if you've not had the opportunity to download the trend report, you may not have had the opportunity to kind of give your opinion, but go ahead and read the data. I mean, this is our career field. Remember, we talk about when is somebody going to do something? When is somebody going to address? When is somebody? Well, you know what? You've got to be able to arm yourself with the knowledge. You've got to be able to educate yourself with what's going on in the career field. And the trend report is a great way to do that. But before I get to my next question for Carrie, Pulsera is the only first net listed mobile telehealth and communication network that connects teams across organizations. Free to EMS and the receiving ED, Pulsera One unites teams seamlessly on a single patient channel, replacing the radio report with features like live video calls, ECG and image uploads, audio, data, and key benchmarks. Pulsera United includes enhanced features built to help you and your EMS agency provide an expanded scope of practice, such as mobile integrated health and community paramedicine. Regardless of which package is right for you, Pulsera makes communicating with healthcare facilities in your region easy. Simply create a dedicated patient channel, build your team, and communicate. For more information, visit pulsera.com slash EMS. That's P-U-L-S-A-R-A dot com slash EMS. So, Carrie, a lot of great stuff so far. We are really getting, I think, cracking the nut. I mean, and we could talk for another hour and still not hit the high points of this report. But I think, you know, we're all, you know, Rob talked about it a few minutes ago, the, the new normal. We're living it, right? We're in it. So when we think about the, the data that we're seeing in the trend report, how can we interpret that data in light of COVID-19? I mean, it, there's got to be an impact, no? Absolutely. And something that we asked our roundtable, and we were collecting this data at the end of 2019. So it was really, we before we knew what was coming, we had this question of how prepared is your organization for an epidemic or a pandemic? And only 15% of respondents across service models said that they were well prepared. And, and I think that that panned out. We saw that, you know, the, the challenges of staffing and PPE and decontamination and just getting those things up and running across the board. So COVID-19, like like Rob said, it's a disruptor. It accelerates. It's ex- exacerbating everything. Um, so all of these changes, low volumes outside of surge volumes and increased decontamination and PPE costs are really threatening already tight budgets. The mental health angle where we saw 68% identifying that as a major significant challenge for EMS even before the pandemic started. And we know that the added stress that that's adding across the board is, is a significant issue. Um, so also the areas for growth and potential change, the low percentage of adoption of strategies that fit the ET3 model really stood out to me in the trend report. So things like nurse triage of 911 calls, only 3% reported implementing that in their agencies, um, arranging alternative means of transportation was at 7%, telemedicine and video consults at 9%. And we're seeing that becoming such a huge part of healthcare across the board. And one that in our our recent Washington report I covered, they said, you know, that's not a genie that we're going to put back in the bottle anytime soon. So seeing those low numbers and the potential for growth there, uh, transport of 911 patients to alternate destinations was at 13%. So as we see some of these ET3 model strategies being implemented and the growth, I think that's where we're going to see the biggest change this year. And we'll have that to measure for the next trend report. 
I'd like to piggyback on that uh, with a question for Rob. You, you, you mentioned, Kerry, the, the, the low percentage of, of these ET3 tenants like the nurse triage and alternative destination transport and, and this sort of thing. Uh, but in the same graph, we've got, uh, we've got 25% of EMS agencies are using ballistic vests for all personnel. Uh, they have bike teams. Uh, and in the graph immediately ab- below, above it, you also see uh, a higher percentage of, of clinical um, interventions uh, that focus on uh, toys and cool things to do. Uh, Rob, what do you think is is our fascination so much with with things that uh, have um, questionably uh, questionably justifiable modalities uh, uh, and and cool toys that are not really proven yet? Um, See, we we see here things like uh, ultrasound, 7%. That probably is because of uh, uh, it's still a a fairly expensive procedure. But only one in three EMS agencies uses infusion pumps, of all things. Yet, 58% have mechanical CPR devices for that, what, 1% of calls that we run? What do you think? What's up? What's up with that? Do you think we, we value toys over education or is there something deeper to it? You know, ultimately, it's cool to do the cool stuff, first of all. But I'm going to go back to my data head and ask the question that in doing all of this, what has the outcome been? How have we measured the outcomes? And also, if, you, if you're if you doing some sort of procedure, whether it's uh, some, a blood transfusion or whether it's some sort of other type invasive procedure, uh, how many organizations are doing it? But more importantly, how many folk within that organization have done it? And the answer is a 0.0 something of a percent. And therefore, how do you maintain the quality level, the skill level? How do you avoid that skill fade? How do we keep people proficient and efficient in doing these things going forward? Now, I'm not, you know, not saying we shouldn't do it, but we have to think about these other maintenance uh, requirements in order to keep these things going and that's something that that's always a concern of mine but four or five years ago at one of the major conferences ed roth was giving a keynote where he was talking about the the difference between emts and paramedics and actually the skills that we require our paramedics to do and maintaining those skills and actually he was forecasting the end of paramedicine now this is going to be heresy to many people listening to this and we're going to be talking about higher education and degrees etc But some of these procedures are so far between uh, episodes of doing them that we have to ask, how do we maintain our currency and our ability to deliver them effectively without causing any harm to the patient? And that's always been a concern for me. When you think about, you know, life, I talked about the corner office. Well, life in the corner office is one of constant worry over what happens if we do something adverse to a patient what's the you know the cause effect the consequence the liability etc and one of those liabilities is we only do that particular procedure once every year so therefore one medic does it once a year and no medics do it all the rest of the year and so there's all there's that big concern about how we keep this stuff going and how we maintain our currency in doing it and i think that's something we need to think seriously about sometimes you know so carrie uh, if we think about this from the standpoint of EMS leaders. And, you know, Rob and I have had the opportunity to, and Kelly for that matter, to run organizations 
and, and really kind of help influence our workforce. But if we think about this from an EMS leadership standpoint, what should EMS leaders do with these results? Or even more important, how can EMS leaders um, maybe make this make these results actionable? I love that question. And this actually came from your response to the trend report last year, Chris. Um, you, you made that point of leaders need to look at this and not just read it over, but really commit to change. And that's what we made the headline of this year's report is here's the trends, here's what's happening. But you really need to compare your organization and see where you stand up to some of the implementations and some of the adoption levels and see what you're missing out on and where you could be serving your providers better. And so there's a few ways to do that. One one thing is look to where policy can influence safety or outcomes. Look for something measurable. There were only 30, 37% of people responded that they measure cardiac arrest survival. Another 31% weren't even sure if their organization measured cardiac arrest survival rates. So looking at those, those policy areas, things like 15% of respondents still using lights and sirens for every call. Where can you make a big difference by implementing a policy or refreshing, reminding people of the policy you have, and then really enforcing things and and making those changes. Um, Another area was FaceTime with providers. We saw a number of comments of people talking about their medical director who used to be really engaged. That first year, they were super engaged, and we saw them all the time, and they were always calling and checking in or maybe even riding along with providers. And then after that first year, it, it fell off, so we're not seeing them anymore. I can't tell you the number of people that responded. They don't know who their medical director is. So it's important because there's this correlation across a number of categories, things like pandemic preparedness, technology adoption, and even the perception that your organization is addressing some of the big challenges, um, fatigue or safety. Those all correlated to higher if the medical director was engaged. So looking at where leaders can really make the FaceTime and and be connecting with providers on a regular basis. And I think, like you said, um, with the management by walking around, it's it's important and it's noted across many of the responders. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I think that you really kind of gave me, you know, the, the follow up that I want to give to Rob, because the, the importance of what we do here from an EMS leadership standpoint is important. Rob, I've said for a lot of years, tons of respect for your leadership ability. I mean, you and I spent four years on the EMS leadership podcast. You know, the it allowed me to grow my admiration for your leadership style. And, you know, you had the opportunity at the Richmond Ambulance Authority to be the EMS Service of the Year, I believe, in 2015. And But here, here's the thing that really kind of bugs me. We've got five years worth of data here and really important data when it comes to what our providers are saying, but it doesn't look like the leadership in EMS is taking this blueprint and changing the practice of what needs to be done to make their workforce better, stronger, faster. Um, I mean, what's the challenge and what, what do these leaders need to do to make sure they, that they they bend this trend in 2021. Well, Chris, if we do what we always did, we get what we always got. As my mother used to say, if things don't change, they'll stay the same. Things have stayed the same for many organizations. And let me just come back to something that uh, Kerry was talking about there, that when we talk about public health, and we often talk about public health, I always say to people, shame on you if you don't know the name of your public health director. It's a big problem if you don't know your medical director 
and your medical director doesn't know you. That's that's a huge issue for any clinical advancement in any organization. Uh, and that surprises me to hear that particular uh, finding. Now, I, I feel blessed because I spent 10 years working for Dr. Joe Onato. And you want a man that's involved? Joe Onato is the man that's involved. He clears every single paramedic for the street in a three-hour panel. It's a one-to-one. It's an amazing experience just to watch and go through. So that's you know that that's that that's the, the the first issue in many places things haven't changed but again coming back to the, the disruption that covid is we have no choice but to change now if you were complacent sitting back doing nothing now you have to change because you have real life life and death workforce issues uh coming right at you you have to look after the workforce they are you and we've said this we said this last week chris they are the most important yet most expensive asset. The, the requirement is now to look after your people because your people will look after you and look after the patients. So people, if, if they weren't thinking about change before, my goodness, they're going to have to think about change now because the landscape has changed. The method of operation has changed. The risks have magnified. And therefore, it's time to actually look after the people to improve their lot and of course, a whole nother show about reimbursement equals paying Kelly to be on the truck, etc. We discussed that last week as well. But, you know, the things that we can do is pay attention, look after our people, think about their pastoral care. And obviously, one of the great findings in this survey is look after their mental health as well. Well, and as usual, Chris, Chris stepped on my, my question and stole it from me before I could ask it. But, uh, <laughs> Rob, you gave the, the perfect answer for it. Uh, my rejoinder to Chris would be uh, the reason uh, EMS leaders are not making use of this data and not changing their practice because they're not leaders. They're managers. And there's a big difference between a leader and a manager. What you guys have been talking about and the strategies that you've, you've discussed uh, to to bring about these changes are, are fundamental tenets of leadership, but we don't have le- we don't have many leaders in EMS. We got a bunch of managers, but we got precious few leaders. And I think that you can spot the difference between the two uh, by simply uh, having a look at the agency and talking to the people at the agency, and it will become very quickly obvious uh, which ones are served by a, a leadership team versus a management team. But that's my soapbox. I'll leave it at that. And that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. Give the EMS Trend Report 2020 a look. What is relevant to you? What's not relevant to you? And what do you see as the future of EMS? What trends are you spotting uh, that we haven't covered? We'd like to hear all those things at the show at EMS1.com. And for myself and co-host Chris Ceballero and our fearless leader, Carrie Hatt, and our esteemed international correspondent, Rob Lawrence, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week. Bye.